Hello there and welcome to another TVOX podcast. It's uh, been a while since we last did one of these, but we've just had the website all repaired and back up and running, so we thought it's about time that we gave some thought into dealing with some of the other topics that we do keep getting asked questions about and that we haven't already done podcasts on. So um, we're going to be touching on... What are we going to be touching on, Zoe? This week we're going to be touching on what to do to prepare for going for surgery, what to expect while you're in the hospital and the first few weeks after you've come out. Yes, indeed. Uh, did we introduce ourselves? We did not. I'm Zoe Kirk-Robinson. And I am Jennifer Kirk. And there we are. Let's get started. OK, Jennifer, what would you say was the most important part of preparing for surgery. Right, well, before I start, I think it's important to note a little bit of a rider here. Obviously, we're coming at this from the point of view of uh, male-to-female vaginoplasty type surgery. Uh, so uh, we're going to try and touch on uh, the trans men's point of view uh, at some point. But obviously, we have no personal experience of that. So we're going to stick with what we know. Um, and, um, well, we both went through Mr. Thomas down at the Sussex Nuffield in Brighton. So a lot of the experiences that we draw upon are going to be based on uh, what we were told to do, told to expect, and what we actually experienced as However, we went through that. What is worth pointing out is just because one surgeon does it one way doesn't mean that the information that we're giving you is useless because it's all got the same basis. So... The majority of this, if not all of it, is applicable everywhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, nobody's trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to vaginoplasty. Uh, but I think first things first, to get it right back to the beginning, one of the most important things, uh, and this does keep coming up a lot because a lot of PCTs try and claim that it's purely cosmetic and they won't pay for it, blah de blah blah but it's hair removal on your genitalia. Oh, yes. The primary care trust will say... They won't fund it. The hospital, if they mention it at all, will say it's essential. Sometimes they, f they don't mention it, but you still have to do it. You're expected to have done it anyway. But the majority of surgeons these days will say, you need hair removal before we can operate. Because, unfortunately, if you don't have the hair removed and you just shave it off, well, it's going to regrow and then it makes it very, very difficult to deal with because then it's growing inside you. Yeah, definitely, very much. Because you've got to remember that in the process of the vaginoplasty surgery, uh, the skin that was on the outside is going to become on the inside. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, it's easier to shave a pole than a hole. Uh, so once it's on the inside, what you're going to find is that, yes, the hair will keep growing um, and um, it will grow in much the same way that it did when it was on the outside. But you're going to find that there's then um, hairballs will form, form and there's nothing worse than having um, hairballs inside you. They become a magnet for a risk of infection um, and they're just generally unpleasant. And also um, from an aftercare perspective, uh, when you're actually doing the dilation, it, it's, it makes it much more uncomfortable uh, trying to insert the dilator when you've got um, hair on the inside that will catch on the dilator. And, you know, it's it's always quite uncomfortable if somebody grabs hold of uh, one of your, um, any of your body hairs and tries to yoink it out. It hurts. So you can imagine that uh, it makes dilation far more painful than it may otherwise necessarily be. So... The recommendation is electrolysis or laser hair removal if you're lucky enough to have dark hair. 
Yes. Um, if you have light hair or red hair as well, also doesn't tend to respond very well to uh, laser hair removal. Again, it's down to electrolysis. Um, and um, if you thought having uh, hair removal on your face was bad, well, your genitalia, it does hurt an awful lot. Yes. Um, it's a necessary evil, however. I found that I didn't have a lot of pain when I was having beard removed or hair on my neck removed or anything like that, even the hair on my top lip. I had, uh, let's put it this way, I had tears when I had hair removed from my genitals. But at the same time, it only took three sessions. They were about 10, 15 minutes long each. It's not even an hour's worth of time. Mm. And it's all worth it because I've never had problems with that. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the hair in your uh, on your naughty bits um, doesn't tend to be as resilient as the hair on your face, quite luckily. Um, but, um, I mean, going back to the pain aspect, uh, I actually made the uh, the operator of the laser at the hair removal clinic. She actually cried in sympathy with me. Um, it was that bad. But... As Zoe says, you only have to do it once um, and then it will, of course, make uh, surgery uh, a lot easier because there is indeed, in fact, uh, another risk is that uh, you can end up with hairs growing inside you. I'm not talking about in the vagina, but uh, you can actually get growing hairs. Yeah, basically a hair follicle that has kind of become trapped um, and will grow the hairs into you. Uh, I had this and uh, what happens is the hair grows and then the natural process for a hair follicle is the hair sheds and then it grows another one, then it sheds the hair and then it grows another one. But if that hair can't go anywhere, you end up with uh, an infection and I ended up with uh, it, it was a bit like a big boil and <laughs> ended up having to uh, fish out the hair follicle and the hairs that had been shedding. It was... Uh, well, interesting, shall we say? But I don't want to put anybody off here. No, at this we're not. Point. We're not here to put anyone off the surgery. Mm. We're here to warn you that there are risks, there are issues surrounding it, and that's how you get rid of them. You go and you do the hair removal, you grin and bear it, and you get through it. Yeah, I think uh, we ought to to move on now to some okay. of the other things. And um, you may hear, hear uh, it referred to euphemistically as stretching exercises. Um, it's basically, you know. <laughs> Shaking hands with the bishop or whatever you like to call it. Basically, when you go on to HRT, um, you've probably noticed that uh, the old dawn horn doesn't really tend to happen anymore. So spontaneous erections don't happen anymore. Um, and this is down to the hormonal change. But what you have to remember is your body was doing that for a reason. And that's to keep the penis area stretched, the skin elastic. And, it, and if you don't have another way of doing this then um, your penis will shrink. And that, unfortunately, whatever way you're going to look at it, is the donor material. The more it shrinks, the less you have for surgery. And also, um, you know, the more potential problems you might have in terms of difficulty of dilation at a later date. So it's important to keep it stretched. And I know... Yes. A lot, of, a lot of trans women do get quite uptight and uh, I suppose try and gloss over the fact and pretend it doesn't exist but you know we kind of have to have one off the wrist every once in a while and you know you, you were saying when we were, we were discussing this earlier on you don't have to go all the way through all you're actually trying to do is is get that erection that's all you need to to actually yeah. do if you, you know if you want to carry on then that's you know between between you and your your right hand or your left hand if you're left-handed um that's the thing i 
going th all the way to ejaculation is not the important thing. That's not what keeps the material supple and mm. usable for uh, sex during assignment. What you're actually wanting is the elasticity. So keep just basically keep it up for 10 to 10 minutes every day or something like that. 10 minutes every day? <laughs> well, okay, 10 minutes every other day, so maybe five a day and whatever. Well, I... I... I, th I think really the important thing is really just getting it fully erect. I, I don't think keeping it fully erect for a great length of time is is, is strictly necessary. Well, it's getting it to that. To that... a certain extent. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with that. But mm. the way that it was always put to me was if you can keep it up for a couple of minutes, a bit longer that helps, then that will help a lot because it keeps the length, it keeps the elasticity, it keeps everything right. And it, like I say, you don't have to go all the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important to say you shouldn't. You, know, you don't have to be ashamed of what's down there. It, it's one of those things. If it's there, you know, it's no fault of yours. So don't you know? Don't feel bad about having to do some of these things. It, it's you know, it's the path that we have to take. Um, but um, moving on to more of the logistics side okay, logistics. of going to surgery. Remember that when you're coming out of surgery, you're going to need transport. And equally, when you're getting to the surgery, you're going to need transport. You've got to pack a few things because you're going to be in hospital for about a week. And there are a few requirements for mm. what you need to take with you. I mean, well, first off, we'll deal with the transport aspect. Um, it's, it's worth noting, um, if you drive your own vehicle that um, because of the serious nature of the surgery, it will invalidate your insurance policy if you drive immediately after surgery. And to be honest, you really don't want to. Um, so it's important to note that if you drove yourself to the hospital, you would not be allowed, you'd actually be breaking the law um, to drive yourself back. And uh, I think in my case, we were looking at a period of certainly not less than a month before I was able to drive my car again. So you're going to need a lift, um, uh, be it by taxi, a friend, um, you know, that sort of thing. Yes, I have to remember when I came out of surgery, I was in Norfolk City to walk, never mind to try and drive myself anywhere. My, because I was laid in bed for a week and I already have joint trouble anyway, I had to walk with a cane when I came out of hospital. Mm. So if I'd been left trying to get home myself, I would never have made it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that's not unheard of. Um, when I was talking to, I remember talking to Liz, the, the nurse at Sussex Nuffield, and she said they'd had people, I mean, admittedly few and far between, who had sort of left walking like John Wayne off the last horse into uh, into Dodge City and, uh, you know, toddling off with their bags. But that is a recipe to causing yourself all kinds of mischief. Yes. And, um, you know, it's bad enough being the passenger in a car on a long journey. I myself, um, it was um, it was about a four to five hour journey that I actually had. I was given a lift, um, but it was still quite an ordeal, um, even without me driving. Um, so, you know, if you were wanting to go and catch the train to Edinburgh or whatever, that is really, it's something you have to bear in mind that you really need to avoid and certainly have somebody there to help you. Though another thing to remember when you're coming from surgery is you can't lift any weight, you can't put any pressure on anything. Mm. So you can't strengthen strengthen the muscle. You can't not strengthen them. You can't uh, tense the muscles too hard because it will cause tearing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like you will accidentally cause yourself mischief. Um, it's just like coming out of any major surgery. And you've got to take it easy. Your body will tell you um, what your limits are. Um, so, you know, you're going to find yourself feeling very drained as your body repairs itself. And it's just simply a case of just not trying to push the envelope um, and not push yourself too far. OK, let's get back to what we're taking to the surgery itself. Because when you're in hospital, you're going to need a change of clothes. You're going to need a few because you're in there for mm. a week. But more importantly, you're going to need something to carry materials in, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what you need is an airtight container um, and something along the lines of a large uh, Tupperware-type lunchbox is ideal because you can seal it airtight. Um, it will, um, you know, it needs to be large enough to store what will ultimately be. Uh, let's see, I mean, wh what do we get given in hospital? In hospital, it depends on the surgeon exactly what you're given, but you'll be given medical stents, which are basically, they're solid plastic dildos. <laughs> and you'll get between two and four of these, depending on the surgeon and the type of stents that they use for post-operative uh, care. Yeah. And these range from... Approximately two to two and a half, no, not two and a half, two, but from approximately six to eight inches to about 10 or 12 inches, aren't they? What, in length? In length. Um, I, th I, I think they do very, some of them can be as short as, as um, seven or eight inches, yes, True. definitely. Um, yes, of course, the, the long ones that I'm thinking of, actually, they disconnect and go in half, so yeah, they're the easier to store. Yeah, the handle is a separate removal thing, but uh, basically, you don't want to take... A, a miserly, I'm not really hungry for my sandwiches type lunchbox. You want towards the bigger end. Um, it's better to have it slightly too big than mm -hmm. slightly too small. And you're also going to have a douche in there, uh, which is, um, it looks like a sort of a plastic squeezable bag, for want of a better expression. With, with, a, a, with a funnel on the end. Yeah, and this is really just a, a feminine hygiene thing, which certainly at the early days, uh, immediately post-op, you're going to need it because um, the, 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 the neo-vagina is still uh, an immediate post-surgery site, so you've got to keep it clean. Yes, you'll be given an applicator for iodine tablets as well, so that's got to be stored yeah. uh, securely because... If you're putting it into a surgical area and it's not clean and kept clean and sterile, then it's going to cause complications. Yeah, uh, and it's worth noting as well, you'll also be given Hibby Scrub, which is a medical type, it's an antibacterial soap. It, it may go under different trade names in other countries, but essentially it's an antibacterial soap and you'll be using this to sterilise the uh, the dilators, the surgical, st uh, the, the stents, um, the douche, Things like that, because um, you need to keep these things clean. But it's worth noting that you don't have to keep the hippie scrub in the box with everything else, because oh, yeah. it's a big it's a big bottle. So you can stand that next to it or somewhere else, just as long as you actually have it there. Yeah. Okay, so you've got that, you've got your clothes. Do you need to take anything else? You're going to be in hospital for about a week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out with the clothes that, uh, because you're going to be in bed, you had uh, major surgery in your groin area, uh, don't bother taking, uh, well, certainly don't take your, your, your tight, skinny, fit jeans because you will not be wearing those. <laughs> um, the important things to take are things like lots of vest tops um, because that's what you're going to be wearing whilst you're in bed. And you want them to be fairly loose and comfortable. And also you will find that you'll have an awful lot of um, 
temperature fluctuations. Effectively, you've gone through an instant surgical menopause uh, big time, uh, far more so than even antiandrogens um, cause you to. So you're going to experience hot and cold flushes. So you want clothes that will reflect that. So maybe something like a cardigan for those points when you feel cold um, that you can easily take off um, when yeah. you start to feel hot. After pointing out that when you're preparing for surgery, you have to come off the HRT and it will cause a menopause. And I thought, oh, it wasn't too bad. I'm prepared for what's going to happen after surgery. Oh, my goodness, no. I took a cardigan to surgery because I thought, well, I'm going to have cold periods. I'll probably need it. I never needed it. I boiled for most of the week. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, it does depend on time of year as well. I mean, we went through in summer. And actually, one of the most useful uh, things that we both of us had in our rooms was, was a, a fan. Yeah, a 12 inch desktop type fan. Um, and um, if you have the space to take one with you, it's well worth taking it with you because you can't guarantee that there'll be something like that in the hospital room provided for you. So it's as well to have it there and ready for, um, for, for use because it's better to have it and not use it than to not have it and need it. Yes. OK, let's look at the other side of things. You're going to be in hospital for about a week. What about entertainment? Mm. I remember I took a laptop computer thinking I would watch a lot of DVDs while I was uh, convalescing. But what I actually found was I was so weak and feeling ill after surgery that I think it was four days before I even opened the laptop. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know I certainly found on the first, uh, certainly the first day, day and a half after surgery, you spend most of your time sleeping. You're not really interested in doing an awful lot. Uh, certainly don't expect to be able to be sat there blogging, talking with the world um, immediately after surgery. You're there to rest and recuperate, so make sure you give yourself plenty of time for that. But certainly a laptop is of great value for watching things like films, because you're going to be spending a lot of time in bed. But another thing to point out, don't take a load of comedy. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't want it to sound bad or make anyone cringe, but you've just had a lot of surgery around the abdomen area. Mm. When you laugh, that's the muscles that tense. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, that um, a couple of things that really hurt uh, straight after surgery, one of which was laughing, which I discovered the hard way whilst watching um, series one of Frasier, um, which is, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, it's laugh out loud stuff, but it's not a good thing to be doing immediately post-surgery. But also I discovered, interestingly enough, you cannot sneeze. It, it is... It's a strange thing, but your body will not let you sneeze because um, if you uh, feel that a sneeze is coming on, uh, what I found was that you went to sneeze and your body would bail out before you actually sneezed because the sharp yeah. ping of pain is a very strange self-preservation device. But, oh, my uh, goodness, yes. Oh, man. And another thing, I remember I found out I was allergic to morphine because vomiting hurts too. Yeah, it's actually, it's worth noting at this point that um, it's not uncommon, um, it's not common, but it's not uncommon to be allergic to morphine, and that is one of the pain relief drugs that is given after major surgery. So it's worth trying to find out, certainly if uh, any of your relatives um, are known to be allergic to morphine. It's one to you know look into. I don't mean go out and try morphine just to see what happens, 
Um, but be aware that that can happen. Uh, it tends to make people uh, violently sick if you're allergic to them. Yes, but another thing is surgery, it seems really bad. But because I was allergic to morphine, I wasn't able to take that level of painkiller. So they gave me something else, and it was a lighter painkiller, and I didn't feel pain on that. Mm. I was on ibuprofen and paracetamol. Yeah. And that did fine for me. And I must admit, um, I didn't get given morphine. I think they, they tend to like to only give morphine if the patient is clearly um, experiencing a lot of pain. So if they can get away with not using it, they will tend not to use it. So don't expect um, to be um, guaranteed to be given it. Because mm. um, I myself, um, I wasn't given morphine. Um, I was given other painkillers, which made me hallucinate, which was all very peculiar. Uh, and uh, they said to me, um, they said, oh, well, we'll put the te television on. I mean, this is sort of like three in the morning. They will put the television on in the room and it'll try and keep your mind off things. And what was on? But the Truman Show, which if you ever watched that, is not a good thing to be tripping out to. I think it would improve it. OK, let's move on for what, what can we expect in terms of recovery time? What's the general schedule that we went through? Um, we were talking about around three weeks, I think it was, where don't expect to go back to work, don't even plan for going back to work mm -hmm. or doing anything really strenuous. You're going to be spending a lot of time doing um, what I always euphemistically call the aftercare regime, uh, which is actually the dilation. Um, you're going to have to dilate the neovagina. Um, three times a day. At least initially, yeah. Um, certainly for the first, was it the month? A month? The first month. Yeah, three times a day. And then over time, this does drop down. So you then go down to twice a day, then once a day, and then a couple of times a week. And then after that, it can drop right off. It isn't as necessary. The whole purpose of this is that as you heal, any wound heals, scar tissue uh, will tend to try and form. So by dilating, what you're actually doing is you're preventing scar tissue from forming because scar tissue is not flexible. And the last thing you want is a ridge of not flexible skin inside your new vagina because it's going to restrict things quite terribly. Oh, yes. So you've got to keep up with the, the aftercare material. If you don't, you may as well not have bothered going through surgery because it's going to be really painful if you ever try to use the area. Yeah, I, I think with the aftercare as well, it's worth noting that a lot of people do find it a bit of a chore, but you can kind of um, make a routine for yourself which doesn't necessarily make it as much of a chore as it might otherwise be. And with me, I, I treated it as me time. Yeah. Um, and I would try and uh, watch DVDs of things that, uh, you know, you always have a pile of films and TV series that you keep meaning to watch but never quite get round mm -hmm. to it. And I actually spent the time getting myself through all those. You know, I, I watched um, all the Frasier. I went through a lot of classic Doctor Who, uh, things like the A-Team as well, you know, revisiting childhood. And, uh, you know, you kind of take the view, well, I was going to watch this anyway, so I might as well do my dilation at the same time. There, I've not wasted any time. And you get into that, 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 that routine that makes it easier. And it's only like, like 10, 15 minutes, maybe half an hour per session. So it's not like a huge amount of time out of your day anyway. Yeah. And the majority of the time for the first month or so, you're not going to be able to move around and do a huge amount anyway. So it's not really lost time. Yeah, uh, I mean, it will, 
what you'll find is the more you do it, the quicker and easier it becomes. Yes. So even though it may seem like a chore at first and you think, oh, God, what have I let myself in for? Um, it does get better and quite mm-hmm. quickly. So don't let it put you off. Um, as long as you keep doing it, it will get easier and you'll get into a routine. Um, what you must not do is find excuses not to do it. Oh, definitely not. Okay, so for the first few weeks, you're you're going to find it hard to get around because walking around is still going to be painful and comfortable and mm. a little bit difficult because you haven't got your strength back. Sitting around, I don't know about you, but everyone laughed when I tried to get up and sit down in chairs because yeah. you're doing it ever so gingerly because guess what area you've just had operated yeah. on. Basically, you will turn into a 91-year-old great-grandmother. Effectively, yes, and you'll be like that for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's uh, better quick, but it's annoying. Yeah, it's, it's very useful to have somebody around, an able-bodied person who's able to act as a bit of a gopher for you because you're not going to be able to go out to the shops uh, or anything like that. It's going to be a chore to cook food. Certainly you can't really do any cleaning. And certainly don't think about any heavy lifting. Oh, no. Make sure everything that you're likely to need for the next few weeks after you get out of surgery is not on a top shelf. Yeah. Prepare your house or flat before you go in. And it would be advisable. Get a month's shopping in in advance. Yes, it's it's well worth it. Mm. Okay. Let's go for the final topic. What if something goes wrong? What if stitching bursts or you get an infection? What do you do? Uh, the, the first things first, don't panic. Um, it happens to a lot of people. So it's not like you're the only person who this has ever happened to. Um, I, you know, there's um, uh, NHS Direct you can mm-hmm. ring, but I always found that they were more, they were always kept asking me, "Are you sure you you don't think you're pregnant?" Yeah, used to be the standard response. NHS Direct, as good as they try to be, they're not set up for trans people. Mm, yeah, basically, you, you've done something a little bit unusual surgery wise. So, um, also be aware that you know, make a judgment yourself. Don't you know? There's there's no prizes for being the martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're genuinely worried there, then nine 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 or whatever number you need to call in your country get an ambulance out there get down to hospital um and uh, you know be very honest with them you know there's no point in trying to you know um play the martyr and be stealth all the way you know you can't be stealth when yeah. when they see the the problem area they're going to know what's happened anyway yeah there's no prizes for keeping it secret tell them exactly what you've been through um you know and you know, seek help that you that you need more of a, I don't know about you, Jen, but when I left hospital, I was giving, I was given a number to call if there was a problem. Yeah, that's it. I mean, certainly with um, Mr. Thomas's uh, clinic down in the Sus- Sussex Nuffield, you'll have an emergency contact number um, that uh, either you can contact if there's a problem, or alternatively, you know, if you end up um, calling an ambulance going into hospital, it's worth giving them that number so that they can contact somebody who um, is very knowledgeable in, in the area of surgery that you've yeah. just been through. The hospital doctor will appreciate being able to talk to someone who's a specialist in that area. Yeah, uh, but um, really don't worry yourself too much. Um, a, a burst stitch, it does happen to a lot of people, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but... Um, it's not going to give you any long-term problems as long as you're careful 
Um, and then cleanliness is the best way to combat any potential problems of infection. You're unlikely, in all honesty, to get any kind of serious infection. It's one of the reasons that the uh, iodine pessaries are given out, um, exactly. is to really stop any risk of that before it happens. And remember, just keep yourself clean, wash every day, and you'll, most of the time you'll be fine. Okay, that's all we've got time for, really, isn't it? So shall we sum up? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think surgery is something don't be worried about. Plan your transport arrangements in advance and make sure that you are not reliant upon yourself for the mode of transport, either by driving, which is a big no-no, or by carrying your cases on the underground or on a train um, without any kind of person helping you. Yes, and that's really a plan ahead and you should be fine. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much for listening to the T-Vox podcast. I've been Zoe Kirk-Robinson. I've been Jennifer Kirk. And we'll see you next time. Okay, you take very good care of yourself. Bye for now.